All right, welcome back to a bonus episode of the Blasters and Blades podcast. So, hey, all you crazy sci-fi and fantasy fans, time for your daily dose of shenanigans over here at the Blasters and Blades podcast. Just three nerdy veterans geeking out over our science fiction passions and fantastical fantasies, a place where magic is king, the sky is the limit, and space is the place. So without further ado, let me tell you what we're doing right now. We're getting ready to uh, release some of the archive that we found from when we were the sci-fi shenanigans. Uh, we're going to get those up there for, for the posts that were brought down. We thought you might enjoy them. Um, and so without further ado, let us uh, let us roll that beautiful... Oh, wait, they're going to sue me. Play it. Hey, all you crazy sci-fi fans. Time for your daily dose of insanity. Over here at the Sci-Fi Shenanigans Podcast with your hosts, Jared Handley and me, Chris Winder. Just two nerdy veterans geeking out over a science fiction passion. A place where the sky's the limit, space is the place, and nerds run the world. Without further ado. All right, and thank you for listening today. We have a special guest for you, author Tim C. Taylor, who I sometimes refer to if you follow me on my Facebook or my blog as Boss Man. Um, Tim Taylor is a British science fiction mm. and fantasy author. Uh, he's the creator of the best-selling Human Legion series, the former owner of Greyheart Press, which still publishes some of the legacy contracts that they have, and the publisher of my Sleeping Legion series. So, um, yay! Um, <laughs> so, Tim, uh, did you want to tell us anything about yourself that we missed as far as an introduction goes? Did we cover it all? I think that pretty, that pretty much covers it all, I think, yeah. Outstanding. So, um, first, let's start with um, science fiction generally. We like to ask the guests the first time uh, what you love about science fiction. Okay. Well, I like to live in a world that's not quite the one that we, we live in. I must admit, it, I... I encountered so much great science fiction that blew my mind when I was a kid that uh, I find that fiction set in the real world just seems a bit too mundane, really. I just love the excitement <laughs> of space and adventure and, and uh, great big galactic wide stakes. Brilliant stuff. I can definitely, I like the explosions. So, yeah, very big ones. Um, Galaxy sized. <laughs> so, what's your first memory of watching or reading or playing games in the, in the science fiction genre? Well, it all happened for me uh, in a sort of concentrated point around about 1977, 78. Um, in a short space of time, I read 2000 AD comic, which has got Judge Dredd and uh, people going back in time to harvest the dinosaurs because we're all running out of food and all sorts of things like that. Uh, Doctor Who was on the telly, definitely Tom Baker, Doctor Who, uh, Star Wars, the first film. Uh, I watched that on my eighth birthday, and that was absolutely brilliant. Uh, and around that time, I started playing Dungeons & Dragons, and then not far after that was Traveller role-playing game. So that was all happening very, you know, when you're seven or eight or nine, it's all very intense, those those memories. So that, that, that really is what set me up, I think. Blake 7 as well, brilliant stuff when you're eight years old, yeah. Now, speaking of Dungeons & Dragons, were you usually the dungeon master or a player? Well, I had two older brothers and an even older cousin. So uh, I guess not. <laughs> not, <Okay. laughs> original, not to start with. So, I mean, I, I did used to play um, a little bit later. Some of the, the 
the fantasy trip. I don't know if any of you remember that one. That was a little bit later. Steve Jackson was one of the designers of Steve Jackson games. Um, and that was very good for solo stuff. It, it turned, essentially, it became what was my, uh, known as GURPS. Okay. So, yeah, and that, that also was a, borrowed some ideas, I suspect, from, from Traveller. So we remember Traveller, we were always rolling there for your character classes and your campaigns and so on. Um, it's actually the last sort of few years I realised that things like Traveller and, and 2000 AD uh, has really influenced what I've been writing the last few years. I just didn't really realise at the time. Great stuff, yeah. Yeah, that's uh, that's his favorite question. He has uh, Chris has this theory that that the re- the people that uh, are drawn to being the dungeon master also tend to be the same people that like to tell the stories, hence becoming writers. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. I, and I mean, late, unfortunately, my my brother sort of went off and did other things, so I ended up um, well, about seven or eight years later on, I was doing the dungeon design and then doing stuff at at school. So, yeah, I, I definitely saw that as a progression. I used to create some dungeon designs, and then I, uh, and then I used to write music. Um, I used to write software, and I, I write books. It, it, to my mind, it's the same bit of my head that uh, we started off with designing dungeons back in the sort of about 1980. Sure, it's all creation. Yeah, yeah. But you can feel the same part of the brain working. It's, it's, it's all connected. Mm-hmm. So, did you ever uh, do the choose-your-own-adventure sort of Dungeons and Dragons type books as well when you were a kid? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I love the Car Wars ones as well. Car Wars. Um, and uh, yeah, a bit obscure, but I loved those. And I bought one yesterday. Uh, I didn't even know it existed. Um, I found it in a shop for a, for a pound. A Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Do your own adventure. So I'm going to look forward to doing that this weekend. <laughs> Excellent. I didn't know those. Uh, that was a thing. <laughs> I, no, I had no idea. No. So does that mean you're going to be releasing some Human Legion Choose Your Own Adventures? Ooh, good question. Oh, I'd love to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that would be fun. <laughs> I, I think there's, uh, there's software now that enables you to do it because uh, I'd imagine it would be a lot of post-it notes and lots of bits of paper scrawled trying to figure out you've actually covered everything and there's no sort of <laughs> links and stuff. But I'm sure I've seen software. You can actually print out the whole map of of the game. Huh. Oh, so, that's excellent. Yeah, I'd love to do it. Could you imagine the nightmare that would be for Amazon, though, if like your first choice gets you dead and you jump right to the last page? Their, their algorithms <laughs> and their, their KU stuff would go insane. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if Amazon's ready for They're that. we only working... <laughs> It probably only work in print. Yeah, I don't know. I I was always the guy that cheated yeah. and jumped back and forth to see what would happen. <laughs> yeah. I've not done it on an ebook, but I mean the hyperlinks should all work well. I should think. Well, the the issue is oh, um, that's true. with uh, with the Kindle Unlimited and people doing the page stacking, so they'll like they'll fluff it in the middle with a bunch of short stories, and then as soon as you finish the the yeah. whatever, you hit the now find out more, and it jumps you to the last page to get all those page reads between. And so Amazon has some, um, I imagine, some sort of way to, to try to track that. And so I could see a choose-your-own-adventure messing with those, you know, security features to catch people trying to game the system. Definitely uh, yeah. worth the risk. Yeah, I mean, it could be could be good. <laughs> I don't know. Um, Chris, you haven't met him, but the Corey 
Truax, the uh, the guy that edited some of my Sleeping Legion stuff, is also a veteran, but he's working on a choose your own adventure uh, story as well. So they're they're becoming oh, yeah. more popular, and I've seen a couple that were romance choose your own adventures, which is definitely interesting. Very interesting. Now that is interesting. Yes. <laughs> so my wife found it when she was perusing for her next read. Um. So anyway, that was sort of a detour I didn't expect. <laughs> Um, so, (laughs) but do we go with Bob or Jim? But all right. So, um, I've obviously worked with, before I worked with you as, as a writer in your universe, I was obviously a fan. Um, and so this is a question that I've wanted to ask you, but hasn't been come up in any of the interviews I've seen. So when you first wrote Marine Cadet, which was your first novel, I know you said you wrote it sort of as a, on a lark, as a whim, but where did the idea come from? Do you think? When I first had an idea, let's let's write some fiction because I might enjoy that. Um, which is two thousand and one. Uh, the idea behind the uh, the idea of the, the million children being offered up as tribute and uh, this sort of the world, the setting, that was my first idea in the first half hour of, of trying to do some writing. So that's two thousand and one. It was about two thousand and ten. I started on that that what will become a marine cadet. But I'd already written two uh, novels and uh, had several stories published in magazines that were in that same setting, um, but they weren't necessarily to do with the, the military side of things. So this is what was going on in the background. But what the story with Marine Cadet is then five centuries later, and it's a story of how the descendants of those million children have their now, their time and their, their struggle for freedom. But there are other stories as well, and I've actually been doing them uh, since 2001. Every time you say 2001, I'm thinking of a space odyssey. I guess I'm too much of a nerd. <laughs> <laughs> well, I never, yeah, I never saw that before. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, it was inevitable, wasn't it? I was going to start in 2001. It was. It was. <laughs> so the hmm. um, the story set before, is that something you plan on um, publishing as sort of an omnibus on the ones that were in magazines when you get the rights back? Yeah, it's always a question of well, what's the thing I need to do next. Um, I would, I'm definitely going to do it at some point. Um, the let me see, there's the the anthology I did a few years ago, Empire of War. That was a story set about um, 50 years into this setting, so about 450, 450 years before Marine Cadet. Okay. So that's in that anthology. So I need to stay there for a little while, but. Um, definitely. What I what I actually originally started was not 500 years later. I started writing a story of what was happening at the first contact point, which is about roughly 50 years in the future. I always kept that a little bit vague, or else it mm-hmm. goes out of date. So that's what I started, and I realized that I thought I got an excellent story, but I hadn't got the skills as a story writer uh, back in 2001. So I, I put that on hold and started writing short stories. Uh, and uh, I haven't come back off off hold yet. But but I mean, it's one of those things with the Marine Cadet. I'm always making reference to things that happened 500 years ago, like President Horton and so on. Well, I've actually written him. I know him quite well as a character because I've written a lot about him. I've just never been published. Okay. Okay. I know a lot of the um, the story ideas that became the Sleeping Legion. Actually, most of those seeds were from your your first book. Things that you had uh, set up to potentially be something, and then you know, the story went in another direction. So uh, you definitely, you definitely um, littered the stories with, with uh, potential to be some other stories as well. Now, was that intentional, do you think, or was that just 
sort of happen through the course of writing the story? Well, it's a bit of both. Uh, I, I think uh, I do sometimes struggle to rein in my ideas, I guess. Uh, I have lots mm. of ideas. Let's have a bit over here and a bit over there. And, and sometimes you think, well, I want to really concentrate a bit more on, on the on the key events. So what's the story I'm really telling here? But in other cases, I am intending to um, tie them up. So uh, when it comes to the, the final book in the series, uh, which I've got a, a rough draft complete of, uh, there's an awful lot of tying together things that have been thrown up early on in the series but haven't really been resolved. So, for example, there's the suggestion that uh, there's been a rip in reality and one of the characters actually has met their future self. Well, that's never really been answered on earth that's all about, but it does get answered in spades in the final book. Also, mm. I think one of your your personal favourites, uh, Jar, is... Um, the uh, the the first book, uh, the the protagonist Aaron McKeown, he's he's uh, implanted with a a pheromone um, device to communicate with this sort of alien insectoid race called drugs, and it, that has been used, but it's not used as much as it's going to be in the sixth book. So he's talked in the first one about being the queen of the ants as a joke. Well. Uh, I, I put that in there with the intention of doing something with that, and I'll definitely do that in the sixth book. Outstanding. So a bit of Excellent. Yeah. Now, I've noticed that the Human Legion series and the Revenge Squad series have similar uh, similar layouts on their covers. Are they related? Yeah. So Revenge Squad is uh, it's set uh, towards the end of... Uh, between the fifth and sixth books of the main main series, it's happening somewhere else. It's uh, a, a frontier world where um, soldiers are, are being settled, have been re- retired, have done their, their tour of, of duty, and it's uh, a lot of tension between a lot of different races. And it was my attempt to, because um, I, I picked up uh, the Dresden Files by Jim Butcher uh, only quite recently, about a couple of years ago, and I love those books so much. I've read them all now i thought i want to do that sort of thing in space so it was mm. an attempt to do a kind of almost an urban fantasy in 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 my own sort of space opera setting well, <laughs> i love it so, yeah definitely so there's enough connections that you will you will get so there's there's one character actually who's in the human legion who's also in this this, this series but a very minor character in, in the first series um but yeah hopefully you don't need to read any of the human legion but if you have you will see some references and that will add to the enjoyment hopefully. well the the <laughs> other thing is the whole uh retirement and settle out the uh the retired soldiers he was uh right about the time he started working on that he was touring some of the roman ruins and in, in Britain. So I think there's a correlation there, but I don't know if he knows it. <laughs> so he's, he, I remember him sending uh, him, him sending Corey and I some pictures he took when he was out, out and about. You have a burnt helmet. Yeah. That's, that's from my hometown where, um, the, the, the um, Celtic queen Boudicca burnt the place to the ground. So, uh, yeah. So I, if you, there's lots of archaeology goes on in my hometown, and always they talk about this layer of black, which is little weights down. That's the Budokan destruction layer, where the whole area was completely burnt. So wow, it's uh, I, I remember right as he was telling me about the story that he was he was touring those, and I was like, oh, I wonder if there's a connection. So yeah, 
Turn it all to the ground. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I where I come from. I see um, that this uh, your series. You've got your sixth and final book coming out. Um, when do you when do you expect to to be able to wrap that all up? Uh, well, I'm I'm not going to say a date because it it should have been out to be quite honest. Um, but I I kind of got a little bit on a sidetrack to write a book for someone else. Um, so I'm hoping much. So I. I've got a rough draft already finished, so the story's done, but it does need need tidying up definitely. So I'm going to finish the uh, this four horseman novel I'm doing at the moment, and then the next thing is just get this tidied and get it over because I'm I'm really excited about it and I'm desperately keen to to finish on a nice nice conclusion. So one of the reasons I asked that, um, Chris, is that my characters sort of in in his world diverged when they left the one system and mine was the story of what happened when they left and so at the end of my series they sort of sail off into the wild blue yonder to meet back up with his so i'm curious to see what he does with some of those characters yeah yeah well when we first talked about our two series we we were very vague about what would happen at the very end we needed to settle things on the planet where where you were doing most of your story but i didn't quite know then what would happen to to join up so it'll be a bit vague but i thought that's not good enough is it so yeah your journey you have at the end of your series it does lead somewhere and it, it some of your characters do end up uh in in the, the final book which is rather odd so you've used some of my characters and then you've made your own and i've now taken some of your characters so it's a very strange uh, circular way of, of doing things yeah you um it works I think. I think that's one of the things when people ask me about the differences in writing in other people's worlds is because i've i've done the four horsemen chris has written in that anthology with us as well um so you know we've written in in tim's or excuse me we've written in uh mark wandry and chris kennedy's world and now obviously i've written in yours and yours was a lot more challenging only because you cared so much more <laughs> So, so I remember I was using one character that, you know, I saw it as a minor character. I think you mentioned him a couple of times and you were like, no, that is not what he would do. And you would give me all this backstory of a character that, you know, was so minor to most people. But for you, he was like, no, he was real. So I, I, I think the passion, though, definitely shows in, in your, what you write. Right, well, I hope so. I mean, I, I would struggle really to write a story that I wasn't enjoying myself. Yeah, mm-hmm. but it definitely it definitely shows through, and he does try very very hard to write with the American spellings, but sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> so so the only other thing there's more to it than the spelling. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing we're working on him with Chris is he likes to drink his beer warm for some reason, and we we both know that oh, beer yes. is supposed to be drink cold, <laughs> as, as God intended. <laughs> right. Should be drunk as God intended. We just misinterpreting the message <laughs> yeah cellar temperature. Okay, temperature I have a question I've noticed some differences between writing on different sides of the pond and I'm wondering looking back on this on this book series of yours since you live in an area where if a building is 100 years old it's pretty new where if it's 100 years old on our side of the pond it's an antique and and historians want to learn about it and it's only a hundred years old have have you noticed that just the the environment you live in makes your writing different than than other people's it's a very good question and i'm i think the answer is it it surely must do but there's no reason why i'd necessarily be able to articulate what's what's different um i mean yeah there is a sense of of deep time 
um, I mean, as I said, I was just sort of joking about Colchester where I, I grew up, but I mean, that that was uh, an important place um, over a thousand years ago. Wow. And there's, you just walk in around town and there's, there are walls and so on. The defense is built by the Romans in you know, about AD 100, uh, you know, Boudicca and the destruction layer. It's, it's all around. There's a big, big siege there in the 17th century. Um, I remember we, um, my brother got a, a metal detector for a, for a present one year at, at, at Christmas. And he went out in the local green and we sort of, we found a couple of coins and some cannonballs. Wow. I think, well, <laughs> everywhere you go, this is going on. I, I think it probably does, uh, it might affect us a little bit. I think the bigger difference, because um, I've been thinking about this this morning, and I think the biggest difference I can see, alters the way perhaps uh, British writers see things, is to do with the relative size of, of the UK and US. Um I think there's, there's a tendency to have a little bit more self-confidence in being able to tackle the really big projects, if you like, um, over on your side of the pond. And one of the things I've seen with British authors is a tendency to um, to say, well, we need to go and, and do things in, in alliance with other people. So go off and join oh. NATO rather than go off and put a man on, on, the, on the moon, which... which Obviously, you did. We, we couldn't imagine Brits putting their own man on the moon. In fact, we it's a sort of staple of British, very British um, science fiction, the idea of an independent British um, space program, which did exist until the early sixties, is is a bit of a, a bit of a joke because it's it's not really quite imaginable. And I think that does actually work its way inside your view of the world. I can see that because Definitely. stranded over the British history surrounded by so many enemies and so many allies, you had to rely on the allies because there were so many enemies around. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, there was a, there was a period of time where I think that wasn't quite, uh, quite such the case, but that's, that was all, you know, that ended with the second world war really. Right. So that was all, all gone and dusted with before I was, I was born. Hmm. Not that old. <laughs> <laughs> So um, you've you've said that your sixth book in the series is basically outlined, and you know when as soon as you can get back to it, you will be um, prepping it for publication. So before we talk about your other non-human legion stuff, what are your plans for the universe when you finish the main series? Well, I do have lots of possible uh, spin-off series that I've I've um, thought of. So that just to be clear, the sixth book will be. A definite conclusion. It will tie up lots and lots of, of things. Um, Revenge Squad was an attempt to do a, a spin-off. That certainly um, is one of them. But at the moment, the favourite is to do something I'm calling a Chimera Company. So this is set a long way uh, in the future, about maybe a thousand years in the future, uh, and in a very distant part of the galaxy. Um, yet it is a continuation and uh, some of the themes you see in, in in the Human Legion, sort of different splits between. I mean, at, at the moment, if you've read up to this, the, the end of the fifth book, there's something of a, a split taking place within the Human Legion. Well, that actually affects what the, the the society that we see in this Chimera Company. But it's it's a smaller scale thing, um, and 
rather than the big sort of empires and politics and stuff. And I'm I'm actually quite uh, very much enjoying the Galaxy's Edge books at the moment. And I guess just as I I read um, the Dresden Files and thought oh, I like this, why don't I write something a bit like this? And ended up taking taking some of the 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 sort of enjoyment I had from it, and then putting my own sort of spin on it. I might do something a little bit similar with this Chimera coming. It's a bit more, uh, uh, I can put a bit more um, adventure, a bit more pulpy, perhaps. Does that make sense? Yes. Because well, you know, you're, you're Galaxy's Edge fans. I mean, the, one of the things about Galaxy's Edge is, well, the different books, they're not all the same. They've got quite different uh, few things. So perhaps the, the second one, was that Galactic Outlaws? Is that the so. second one? I think so. Yeah. So that that sort of sense of fun, which I very much um, picked up in the 70s and 80s from 2000 AD, I think maybe that little touch of comic book style, a little bit sort of um, pulps, base opera adventure. Um, and yet it's set in a, something related to the Human Legion. Okay. I look forward to reading that. And one of the things, I'm, well, I, I, I hope I... I enjoy writing them. So it's still, I, I sat down for the first time in my favorite writing pub last Monday. Um, so Monday nights is my definite go to the pub, drink, drink uh, beer at the correct temperature because I do serve it well there. <laughs> uh, and then just write. It's working out of decent ideas. So I had some really, I was really pleased. I just came up with all these great ideas about how this setting would work and where, where things would go. So it, I, I'm thinking at the moment, and I'm going to talk it over with some um, people at the 20 Books uh, London um, event coming up in a couple of weeks um, of doing this as a um, maybe sort of 10,000 word episodes, one a week. Oh, wow. Which I sort of batch up and then um, I, I'm finding I'm tending to write in 10,000 word or thereabouts in, in chunks like that. And I think it's a good way to get the pace going. And in part, I remember when I used to subscribe to 2000 AD, I, I run out of space to do it, to be honest, in the house. Uh, I would be reading a science fiction novel and I'd be enjoying it. But then the 2000 AD comic would come through the, the door and you could be certain I would have read that by the end of the, of the evening. Um, and that's, that's the sort of thing I want to do. I can sort of fit in, you know, that special little smallish, but enough enough in there to really excite people and on a weekly basis you know it's a regular a regular thrill as uh, the alien editor of 2000 AD might call it well they did um craig martell and scott moon are doing something similar with their dark landing i think it's like 30 mm. to forty thousand. i mean thirty thousand on the the more regular end and they're just producing every you know i think they said every 18 days so they queued up a couple in advance yeah um, and that seems to wow, that's brave. Yeah, they they <laughs> seem to be doing okay. I mean, as far as sales, yeah, they are. So, yeah, I mean, I I'm quite worried that people will inevitably some people say it's too short, it's a bit of a ripoff. But I, I, I I'm not as fast a writer as as they are, and I think ten thousand for me that, that suits me as a reader and a writer. So uh, I'm be meeting Craig Martell actually. Um, in, in London a couple of weeks, so I'll uh, I'm, you'll be sure I'll be talking with him about exactly that. Yeah, the one well, Chris good. and I are Chris and I are intending to try to make the um, 
um, next year. Well, the 2018. So I guess it's this year now. But try to make the uh, 20 books in Vegas one. So yeah. But uh, I think yeah, it did look really good. I think the Dark Landing stuff, at least their first one, is um, basically 70 pages, if I remember correctly, and it was like 99 cents. And then their second one, which is a about the same as two ninety nine. Um, the, the second one is ninety pages, but the uh, I imagine they're doing most of the. They're counting on the the Kindle Unlimited, so people will be willing to overlook the size. Right. Yeah, I mean, I I I think if I did a t- if I did go ahead and do this ten thousand words, I would definitely it would need to be in Kindle Unlimited. And of course, it doesn't. There's no incremental costs for for readers. Right, and then I guess you know um, if yeah. if cost is an issue as soon as they're done i imagine at some point they would be able to bundle them for oh yeah i definitely bundle them uh have a series end and box sets and all that sort of stuff so definitely so anybody who wants to read it can read it in the in the way they want to and i'm still surprised the number of people who buy in paperback um so some people prefer it so fine that you you wait till i've done six episodes or something and that's a halfway point on on series one then i will immediately risk the paperback okay good idea that's what i'm expecting so uh, we're gonna pause right here for a second and take a commercial break so uh, let's hear it from our sponsor hey listeners josh hayes here co-host of keystroke medium i hope you're enjoying this episode of sci-fi shenanigans i tell you we're really excited about what jr and chris are doing with the podcast and are proud to feature them as part of our podcast partner network When you get done listening to this episode, I'd like to invite you to come check out our own podcast at keystrokemedium.com. You can find all our previous episodes and check out all the amazing authors we've had on the show. If you're free on Mondays, mark your calendars for 11 a.m. Come hang out with us as we talk to today's leading science fiction and fantasy authors and other industry professionals. We've got a great live audience who get into a lot of shenanigans of their own, as JR and Chris can attest. That's every Monday morning at 11 a.m. Central Standard Time, live on Keystroke Media. We're going to talk about some reading, we're going to talk about some writing, and of course, everything in between. And now I'll let you get back to some more shenanigans with JR and Chris. Have a great day. So Tim, I'm wondering, before we transition out of the out of, the, out of Human Legion stuff, do you have any plans for an RPG? Uh, no, um, but I'd love to have one, definitely. Yeah. Um, well, if, if you had one, what would you base it on? Uh, Dungeons & Dragons, Traveler... What, which role-playing engine? I am pretty out of date with, with uh, RPGs. I mean, I would... I mean, Traveler is the obvious, obvious one, or GURPS. I mean, GURPS sort of tends to work for everything. Uh, one of... Um, somebody posted on a uh, my website the other day talking about, oh, about precisely this, an RPG, there are only plans, and, uh, you know, it would fit really well. And he mentioned a, a, a system that I didn't even know. So I'm afraid I am a little bit out of date with this. Um, but I, I would absolutely love to do that. And I'd like to to um, I would like to write the source book, but like that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that would be great. With, so with if, wonderful illustrations. <laughs> so how many hit points would Arun get? <laughs> uh, all of them. <laughs> <laughs> so I um I liked him because he was sort of uh, different, Chris. If you read if you read a series in a world where sort of they super engineer the the Marines to be you know as perfect as we could, he was, he was the odd man out because he thought. So oh, basically yeah. in a sea of it's Marines, he was good. So like they are now. So, so in a sea of Marines, <laughs> Arun would be like the soldier. He was the one oh. that thought. Oh. 
Uh, well, there was a reason for that. <laughs> we uh, we do that, uh, Tim. We like to give each other a hard time. That whole inner service yeah. rivalry thing. Yeah, don't hold back. <laughs> <laughs> so the um, other than the Human Legion stuff, I know you had mentioned you have written some fantasy, but you've also uh, talked about anthologies that you've been in. Um, so, so what all anthologies are you in, and what kind of stories are you telling in those? Uh, well, I, I, I've lost track, actually. I, I, one of the first anthologies I was in, actually, was, um, oh, what's it called? Uh, Welcome Home Janissary. Have you have you heard about any of that any of either of you? I've read it. Yeah, yeah. So that originally came out in an anthology um, by a, a bunch called Newcom Press, um, and so that that was actually a a Human Legion short story before I started writing the the novels. So oh. if you look closely, it does actually feature Aaron McEwan. You've mentioned his mother is the main character in this this one. Um, I've written all sorts of other things. Tend to be science fiction. I did one in the one of the explorations um, anthologies uh, a few months ago, Woodbridge Press. That was uh, the light of distant Earth. That was uh, yeah, really great fun. Sort of big, uh, big scale science fiction after uh, you know the Earth has been lost and you know lots of pathos. It's really I quite enjoyed that one. Uh, I did a Four Horsemen. Uh, one, as you, as you know, and uh, that's why I'm running a, uh, a novel now with the same characters. But I, I, at Christmas, I wrote a uh, short story for a, for a group called The Syndicate, who uh, excellent bunch of authors who write pulp-style fiction, or at least that's in the Syndicate anthologies they do. They do write other things as well, independently. So this was a Cthulhu, H.P. Lovecraft-themed one. So I wrote it. Um, based in the house where I used to live in in Birmingham in 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 England, so um, it's rather odd. I never thought when I lived there back around about 1990, 91, that I'd end up writing a story based in that house. I had to slightly adjust the, the house number, of course, but yeah, that's 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 from where I used to live in Birmingham. There's cosmic cosmic gods and everyone goes mad and uh, yes, absolutely nuts. <laughs> I um I don't know I, I've read the because I've been trying to get back to the classics so I've read the Cthulhu novels so it's definitely I like the modern interpretations of it better than his original. Yeah, yeah, it goes on a bit, and it's a bit some of it's a bit awkward in places, but yeah, it's the but the idea I think is you know it builds up nicely and then it's all a little bit bit freaky. I, I, I do like that. Yeah. <laughs> I think some of it's just stories. Some stories just age better than others. I, I wonder how that would have been received, the Cthulhu stuff, when, when it was first written. Well, when I, I've obviously been looking at exactly all that sort of stuff because um, I had to remind myself <laughs> what I was supposed to be writing. And, yeah, it wasn't very well received at all. Um, and I, I got a, an H.P. Lovecraft or Cthulhu mega pack, I think, and started reading all this stuff. And it, most of the stuff he wrote was was rejected I think, until after he, he died, um, but it was his his friends who then sort of carried it on during the tenor when he died. But it was he was quite young, wasn't he? But the the, the pulp writers of the thirties and forties were carrying off, were carrying it on after he died, and probably it's the fact that they were pushing it so hard and were 
you know, they've got top writers of the day, that it, it really has the impact still. I mean, if you talk to anybody down the street and you say, what does Cthulhu look like? They will say, tentacles, rubbery head. And then they know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So the, um, the Explorations Anthology, now have you been in all of them? No, no, just uh, no, just one. <laughs> I've read them all, uh, but I've just been in the one. I've read them as well, um, and I've enjoyed them. But Nathan Heistead, if I remember correctly, he's the publisher, correct? Yeah. That's he right, had, yes. he he picked some sexy covers for those. <laughs> um, Definitely. So Tom I've oh, they're Tom Edwards covers. Okay. I, d- I don't fact- know the first one is, but certainly, oh, certainly the um, the last two, maybe more. Definitely, so the one I was in, we've got a, a quite a, a moody, dark blue with a. It's dark, and all the people have got torches. Uh, sorry, flashlights. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what kind of them on at the moment. Yeah, um, yeah, that was the Tom Edwards one, and it was a bit different because it does it does so well with the, the the spacecraft in space. Often with another one doing a having a battle i thought it was great to see him do something a little little bit different still excellent spacecraft design but then with people going off exploring and because it's it's all about colonization and and uh and dangerous new planets i um i was impressed with the the covers they definitely they definitely suck you in so we will include that link uh for the landing page for that series of anthologies in the show notes people if you want to go check those out yourself they are definitely worth looking at so but uh, you you mentioned um before we talk about the four horsemen stuff because that leads into your your next series were there any other anthologies that you have done uh yes but i can't remember them all the one i'll tell you the first one i was in actually was set in northampton Strange enough, for bizarre reasons that aren't important at the moment, but the most famous author in Northampton is uh, Alan Moore, who's a chap with a okay. big beard and funny coat who writes comic books. Um, so he's very famous, and that was my first book signing. Uh, and we had, I don't know, 100 people all desperate with their pens to get anything they could get signed. <laughs> and I happened to sit next to him, um, and I, I lent him my pen, which leaked all over him. But it was it was a great <laughs> feeling to be in this, <laughs> which is a bit bad because he had this sort of frock coat on. It was all very glamorous, but I, I might have stained it. Sorry, Alan. Um, but to be on the, the signing table with hundreds of people, well, not hundreds, but a lot of people lined up, that was a great experience. And the fact that they're all coming to see the person next to me who happened to be in the same anthology was just a coincidence. Uh, but I really enjoyed that. Yeah, so that's my favorite anthology, I think. <laughs> okay. So, um, you've also written in the, um, the four horsemen anthology, the same one that, um, that Chris and I were in for a few credits more. Um, so you mentioned that that story becomes the series that you're writing right now. So how did you get the idea for that story? Where'd that, that idea come from for you? Um, (laughs) well, I, I went to the pub on a Monday night and I had some, Beer served at correct temperature, and I just popped in my head. Uh, it, what I, I, I used to do that. I used to really dislike my job. I found it really stressful, and that was kind of my escape. I would even if I didn't do any writing during the week, I'd have a couple of pints and take my little notebook and write some stuff. It would turn into short stories. That was my escape. So I kept that going. So rather than do all the 
the hardware as well as my thinking about what am I going to write next. So yeah, that that all just popped in in there. I was trying to think about 2000 AD. You always had mercenary characters and this sort of stuff, but I I couldn't think of anything. But this this popped in. So I'm I'm now writing a a one-off novel for Chris and Mark in the Four Horsemen universe that takes those characters and then does something that slots into the you know, the, the story arc that's carrying on between between novels. Um, so, uh, I mean, it would be nice to think that uh, there will be other stories for those characters, but it, it's it's not a series, not at the moment anyway, it's a, it's a one-off. Okay. So um, is there anything about that one-off that you can tell us about that isn't, you know, covered by NDAs or any non-disclosure agreements or anything like that? I mean, how much... Tell us as much as you can. There we yeah. go. Yeah. Okay. Well, if you've if you've read the if you've not read the Four Horsemen, then really, what you what you like, um, you should do. Um, but the, the the basic premise is there are uh, it's in the nearish future, and there are human mercenary uh, companies that go out and and work contracts, and there are four key ones called the four horsemen. So the first four books in the series relate to those four ones. Uh, and then when you read the fourth one, Golden Horde, there's a big change at the end, a big event happens, and you realize that they've actually something's been happening in the background of the previous books. So the world of the four horsemen is slightly different. They are, if you like, now the four horsemen are uh, under pressure and they're sort of up against the, the ropes, but they're not... They're not giving up. They're doing something about it. Well, my book is set a little bit further on. And so although the four horsemen don't directly appear in that book, it's a consequence of what happened uh, in Golden Horde and what the four horsemen are doing about their situation. So um, hopefully, um, if all goes well, then some of the things that happen in, in my book will then feed into further books. Okay. I hope. That's the plan. I'm going to have to reread The Golden Horde so I can begin to speculate as to what your book might be about. So, uh, I mean, uh, I, I'm now in the same situation that uh, that you were in the sense of um, how you're going to fit into the overall story arc, because it's not a sort of spin-off. It does sort of fit in. So I did pitch it. I said, this is exactly what I want to do, because I was quite quite concerned that it wouldn't It'd be a good story, but it wouldn't fit in, slot in. But hopefully that all works well. Um, yeah, it will be part of the pivot from the first sort of set of stories into the, the next arc of the story. And that's about as much as I can say. <laughs> Excellent. All right. So the, um, any plans or any idea on as far as publication i know when you're publishing with other people you don't always get as much say in that but but what's the timeline do you think on that you mentioned you're writing it now i am currently um tidying up so it's written there's, there's a, i'm at the stage where um i'm having to do a bit of rewriting because uh I, i've developed some of the characters later on in a book that in the when i first wrote them were just sort of second mercenary from the left sort of thing. So now I'm going back and, and tying up the different parts. So I'm in a minor rewrite and then it will be a, uh, a final tidy ups. And then, so uh, I, I'm, 
I think that, that uh, Chris would be publishing it. Basically, when I deliver him a, uh, a manuscript that I say is finished, as long as he likes it, then um, it will go out very soon afterwards. He's got the artwork already. Uh, so I'm reluctant to put a, a date on it, but uh, it won't be very far away and might be coming out, very probably will be coming out before the final Human Legion book. So the artwork, um, for anybody that wants to, we will list uh, Tim's contact information. And if you scroll through his um, author page, you can see a uh, picture of the cover. And it's a, it's a pretty sexy one. So <laughs> I know I say that about a lot of artwork, but I'm easy to please. What can I say? <laughs> so yeah, you, um, Wait for the Lego version because my, uh, my son's going to do a – he's got a whole lot of posable Caspers, the, 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 the um, sort of mini mechas uh, made out of Lego. So, so we're going to do that scene in Lego. It's going to excellent. I'll say so, Chris. You, you might be missing it if you follow Tim on his uh, Facebook page. His son is always like he wants to be a Lego engineer, and so he's always building things. So he's like building robot Legos that are like functional. It's amazing. He's built giant ships and mechs, and so he he decided uh, to make a when he when he was here. I don't know. Does he read these stories, or you just tell him about them? Uh, I tell him about them. Yeah, these ones. Yeah. So he was writing he, he's these. Into Rick Riordan, I mean. Sorry. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, who isn't? But uh, but he's been making uh, Lego models of all this stuff, and they're they're actually quite good. I'm, I'm impressed. Hmm. Yeah. So well, they're actually good enough now that you can you can map out the the, the battle scenes as you as you're sort of writing them. Oh, that's outstanding! Crazy. So you you can get your own sand table. So does he charge yeah. you for these? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's not cheap. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. Well, I guess, um, are there any other books in the horizon that you want to talk about before we talk about some other nerdy goodness? Uh, no, no, that's me all done. Okay, so enough sh- enough shameless plugging about your stuff. So, um, what are you reading in the um, in the larger science fiction genre? Well, funny enough, I have been reading. Uh, Four Horsemen books and H.P. Uh, Lovecraft and Cthulhu books um, <laughs> because I've, I've needed to um, and I've thoroughly enjoyed them. But also, as I've mentioned, Galaxy's Edge. I currently, at the, right at the moment, I'm reading Tech Mage, I think, by Chris Fox. Oh, that was that was good, yeah. Um, which is which is really good. Um, who else have been reading? Uh, really into Jodie Taylor, who writes Chronicles of St. Mary. Uh, which is, uh, um, well, uh, at, at times it's sort of a, a light sort of uh, time travel adventure series uh, with some sort of, uh, sort of uh, historians, but it actually gets very dark at times and very science fictional. I think they're great books. Um, and I was very pleased to see actually uh, you've come across the uh, Goodreads Reader Choices um, so Goodreads do a Reader's Choice Awards they've just done last year's I was very pleased to see Jodie Taylor up there in the um, in the finals so you know she's doing really really well broken into the mainstream any um, relation? So I recommend I wish <laughs> yeah <laughs> no not at all no, I, think you- I mentioned um, Dennis E. Taylor with his his Bobby Burst things I think no <laughs> not really <laughs> either you should charge them to use your name I mean 
come on, people, get with it. Yeah, a little bit worried the other, I'm worried about the other way around. <laughs> <laughs> well, as long as it helps people find your stuff, it's all good. So um, do you think, besides the uh, the Syndicate anthology, do you think that Lovecraft story is going to influence any of your stuff going forward? Or Well, it's the first time I've ever written a, a horror story. I, I, I guess you'd call it a horror story. But for me, it's really sort of weird strange things happening, um, venture, peril. So it's sort of, I don't know, it's just a slightly different uh, take on what I've been writing anyway, I guess. Uh, I, I'm, I'm having, I would like to write, I have written fantasy um, stuff, but I'm just having too much of a ball writing the, the space opera kind of stuff that I, I've got plenty left to do there for a time being. So I was sort of envisioning you writing something along the lines of aliens, right? So you got the horror monster in space. I could see Lovecraft uh, fitting well into something like that. Yeah, I, uh, there was a, a Cthulhu in space um, anthology came out quite recently. So really? yeah, definitely these things will work. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, I saw a Kickstarter for it. I don't, I don't know if it actually went out. I think it probably did. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things I think about it. Well, yeah, I, I'd like to write that. I mean, I've got a thousand things I'd like to write. One day I might, might do exactly that. Yeah. I, I've certainly, I, I've never suffered from a lack of things I would like to write or ideas. Um, I would like to write quicker so I can get more of them produced and see how they work out. Sure. So what we all. Of, of all the subgenres of science fiction, because now there's science fiction fantasy and lit RPG, where do you see the market going? What do you think is going to become the most popular in, in the next few years? I think the tech mage I just mentioned, from, that's from Chris uh, Fox. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's a sign of things to come. That's, that's a space opera sort of thing. I've been writing maybe a bit of Warhammer 40,000, and they have spell guns and spell armors and ancient gods and worms and space and stuff. I think that's something that's become, I think what's popular in 2017 is a trend that's definitely going to continue. Um, and in part, it's because although there's been a great growth in science fiction in uh, sales in the last uh, few years, I think it's been even bigger with fantasy, particularly with urban fantasy and paranormal romance. So uh, the sort of thing where they were a big mashup between all these different ideas. So sexy vampires and um, you know, covert operations all mixed up in the same sort of thing. I think that's going to be important because it's going to reinvigorate people who might have read a lot of space opera, uh, alien invasion books or read a lot of paranormal romance and just the, the sort of infusion of new new perspectives by mashing them all up together. I think that's going to be a big trend. I think it already is. I think that's going to increase. Um, but, I mean, obviously, with lots of trends, you can have several going on at the same time and contradictory. And I think there's also been a trend to more hard science fiction, more concentration on engineering and, and science and, and being interested in how space works. Um, so Andy Weir is perhaps the the best example of that. So I haven't read his new book, Artemis, but I mean, that's something people seem to be saying is a really exciting thing because he's put a lot of thought about how things would actually work if you lived on the moon rather than just having it as a, as a backdrop to something else. So I think that's another trend as well. It's still continuing. 
So that was uh, that's interesting because when when Chris and I were talking about this, we were actually thinking that the uh, the trend would be towards you know more character driven stories that are sort of more just about escapism and having fun as opposed to the hard science fiction or the the message fiction. We thought maybe given how uh, tense things are in our our daily life, people would want to escape to books that that go the opposite direction, sort of along the lines well, of the Galaxy's Edge. Yeah. Yes, Galaxy's Edge. I, I do think that is it's one of those things that when you when you see somebody who's really good at what they do, they make it look easy. And I think that is a perfect example of that. The way it's there's so much so few words I think is is excellent. So um yes, there isn't there's a sense of realism for some of those books in the sense of it's believable, it all feels plausible, the people feel plausible. In fact the people feel plausible all the way along. But some of the sort of hard science kind of things about how does the spaceship work. Um, you know, it's a bit like Star Wars, well, we don't really know and it doesn't really matter because it's not important for that particular story that um, they want they want to tell. But something such as uh, Artemis, the the only weird story or the, the the Martian one, I mean I think that people We'll look at that, and of course, it's on another world. And even though there's a concentration or an emphasis to some degree on the um, the practical realities of what it would be like, I think that's escapism as well, because it's more than we've all seen. You know, the moon as a backdrop to a, a, a TV show or whatever, but we don't often get a feel for what it would like to to really live there. It's just a, a screen in the background, and I think that's a form of escapism that I think is is very important. But I think you're right, people. Uh, perhaps are less inclined for, um, I don't know, a little bit more binary morality, the good guys and bad guys perhaps, and a little bit uh, less reflection on some of the things that are going on outside and their door in real life, unless that's what they want to read at the time. And I think one of the things I've, I've learned about readers' habits is that the same person one day will want to read one thing. The same person will want to read another thing. But when, but they're actually working in different markets. So I think about different, different book markets, um, and I think that's what's going to happen. People who want to read the the angst ridden stuff will do so, but more often they're going to be reading the escapism. Right. Okay. Have you ever read any comic science fiction, such as like Space Team by Barry J. Hutchinson? Oh uh, no. No, but um, yeah, that is going gangbusters with that, isn't he? Yeah, uh, I well, I have read, but not that particular particular one. I I, um, I sort of grew up on Hitchhiker's Guide. So oh, that was great too. <laughs> yeah, two thousand indeed it had a very strong sort of sense of of humour, dark humour running through a lot of the things. So yeah, I like to mix it up with a bit of humour, but I have must I haven't done just recently okay i've actually <laughs> i've actually got a story along those lines so the um md cooper has his the pew pew anthologies that were supposed to be mm-hmm. sort of the the humor and i submitted one and i know how to do humor one way and it's very uh barracks appropriate probably not mixed company appropriate um and so yeah. i submitted <laughs> the first couple thousand words and i'm like is you know am i wasting my time if you're not going to accept it uh, and he's like, well, that's maybe a little too much for us. And so I had it sitting there and I was like, well, I had just finished uh, book four in the Sleeping Legion and I, I needed something to get my mind clear before I, I went into the edits. So I wrote this story uh, and then I realized it was maybe a little too crude. So a good friend of mine, TM Toom, she used to write um, 
humor for for newspapers and stuff. And so she's going to go through with and co-write it with me so we could tone it down so it's fit to print. <laughs> so, yes. <laughs> I wonder if the 10,000, if it grows or if we end up with a 2,000 uh, flash fiction or something <laughs> by the time she helps me clean it up and make it. Uh, one paragraph. Yeah. <laughs> But it's it's definitely a challenge to write. I think the so my hat's off to Barry because when every like with the difference with regular science fiction, I think in the comic stuff is that every word matters now. You know, like it's not yeah. just what you're saying in the sentence, but it's it's also got to be layered with the with the innuendo and, and all of that. And it's definitely a challenge to write. Yeah, and you need a lot of confidence that you're going to bring the audience with you. And because you can't, I mean, I know some stand-up comics, <clears throat> you, you can't second-guess what people are going to like. You've got to go for it with absolute confidence. And I, I did a, I did try to put, well, I did, uh, Dark Humor in the Revenge Squad books. Um, some people liked it and, and some people didn't. But I'd, I'd rather do that and win an audience of people who really got the humor and, and loved it than not have anything and then make it perhaps a little bit bland. So I think... You, you do need to take risks. You did. Um, you did in uh, Marine Cadet as well. They, uh, Chrissy, they have a scene in the beginning where they're doing a training battle and they have drugs that they give the, um, the Marines to keep them fit to fight if they're injured and such. Mm -hmm. And there are some unattended biological consequences of those drugs. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I don't want to ruin it for anybody. So we'll just leave that there. But there was, there was a, I remember reading that in the waiting room at the VA. Cause that's where I first, I was waiting uh, while they were trying to figure out what the heck was wrong with me. I spent a lot of time in waiting rooms at the VA. And I remember reading that and, and laughing out loud and everyone turns to look at me like, uh Oh, another one of those crazies. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> so it's, it was definitely that that's in there. I think those are the, was that intended when you wrote that to be funny or was that just something you did as a plot device? Yeah. yeah. No, no, that was intended to be funny. And I, I did wonder, oh, have I gone a bit far on this one? But, but yeah, I, I think it's, I like to have a little bit of, of dark humor because it, it did leave to, you know, lighten things up a little bit and, and make it a bit of dark and, and light with the, uh, sort of the feel of it. Well, gallows humor is definitely something that fits with the military, and so for military SF, it definitely it definitely works. So, well, we uh, we ran a little bit longer than we thought, so I will save the discussion about the uh, four horsemen stuff that you're writing, and we'll have to definitely have you back to talk about that when when you can say more. Um, so uh, we've got the the standard question we like to ask all the science fiction writers on the way out the door. Um, is are there any new scientific breakthroughs you're following or excited by right now? Uh, the, the bit I'm excited at the moment is uh, what's going on in in, um, in space. I think there's so much improvements recently of of uh, our observational data. We're learning stuff all the time, and uh, yeah, there's the thing that's happened recently with the uh, the super black hole that's eating the galaxy, paused oh, yeah. for a bit, and then sort of out sort of great plasma clouds and then done it all over again and it's when he sees something like that and i think well they can't understand why that's happening um so they've got to go and figure out all the uh, the, the theory again um i, I kind of like the fact that they're seeing things you haven't seen before i also like the fact that some of them just still can't be explained so there's still mystery and plenty of things to, to learn and, and be surprised by out there which is great mm-hmm 
ask Danny. Well, for us, for, for Chris and I, we've talked about this. It's one of the reasons we, we asked that is because, you know, science fiction is one that's a uh, genre that's definitely influenced by by the real science. And then you just sort of extrapolate what could be, you know, whether it's it's whimsical or, or you know, hard SF. But, you know, it's, it's rooted in what is and what could be. So uh, on that vein, Chris, did you have anything besides the uh, self-driving cars that you're going nuts about? I, I'm intrigued by, well, we're actually going to have an episode on this, but I'm intrigued by the collision of the recent collision of the neutron stars and how they detect gravitational waves. And just the whole fact that we still don't completely understand gravity. We've got a pretty good idea, but we're not sure yet. I, I love that part. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I was reading a study we've, um, we've recorded a couple, um, science breakthrough episodes on what what was big news for 2017 where we've got one left before we just you know go with those episodes being just what's current um and so we've been doing a lot of prep for that but well the one i've been watching that recently came out is the um there was a recent discovery that the uh ozone over the poles seems to be healing itself um i find that fascinating partly because i wonder how that's going to affect the interpretation of the science, because I know anything when lately, at least when you talk about science and the environment, it's definitely become political. So I just, I, I want to grab the popcorn and watch how this report plays out with the, <laughs> with the masses. Right. And just sort of, yeah. I, I don't know if Nero really fiddled why Rome burned, but I definitely understand the sentiment. <laughs> <laughs> so, but Tim, um, since we, we, ran long and you know we're going to have to potentially split this up into other episodes down the line to keep talking to you uh where can listeners find you best place to find me is at humanlegion.com all right and we've got all of his um links in the show notes so you if you if you don't have a pen handy uh you could certainly just follow those and uh chris do you want to tell us where the they can find us sure our website is www.sfshenanigans.com or twitter at SFS underscore show, and our email is podcast at sfshenanigans.com. Thank you for spending some of your precious time with us. For Chris Winder, I'm J.R. Hanley, and this was the Sci-Fi Shenanigans Podcast. We'll be back next week at the same time, where we'll indulge our love of space and all things that go boom. All right. Thank you for sticking with us through that uh, archived episode that was in the uh, in the digital memory hole that we found. We thought you'd enjoy it. So thank you for spending some of your precious time with us. For Nick Garber and Doc Seska, I am J.R. Hanley, and this was the archive for the Blasters and Blades podcast. We'll be back at our regular scheduled time where we'll indulge our love of nerd culture, cheesy jokes, and all things that go boom.